Welcome back to episode 132 of the Draft FC podcast. Welcome back to the Draft FC podcast, the podcast and website dedicated to all things official draft FPL. My name is Mitch and I'm your host for another podcast in our Road to Draft Day series 2023. I am completely pod blind at the moment, if that's even a thing, so I've got no idea how many episodes I've recorded at the moment and how far into Road to Draft Day we are, because there are pretty much episodes coming every single day. The last episode was a general tips for success on Draft Day episode, which if you've missed, um, go back and have a listen to that one. And this is a bit of a follow-on from that, and it's one I've mentioned in a couple of the previous podcast episodes where I'm going to do a bit of a deep dive into the concept of positional scarcity, which is a pretty important concept to understand if you want to do well in your respective draft leagues. Now, if you've never heard of this concept, and if you've been in draft leagues for a long time, it's probably something you will be familiar with, whether or not you knew it as that name or not. But if you're drafting for the first time and you're in a league of completely new draft managers this season, being able to get your head around this will give you a huge, huge leg up on draft day and set you up for success right down the stretch. So let's get straight into it. So positional scarcity refers to the different numbers of players available at different positions. So in draft FPL, when we're talking about positions, we mean goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders and forwards. These are the positions we have to navigate in the draft. Now, you won't have had to have played FPL for very long to know that different positions have fewer elite players to select from with the striker pool, the most obvious position to point to. Now, what this means is particularly on draft day, we have to make sure that we're valuing those elite strikers properly. And I'll unpack that with some examples in this episode. A simple way to take account of this idea is to prepare your draft rankings in tier lists, which is a popular setup in the draft community. Now, this isn't a style I personally prefer, But the advantage is you can quickly scan and take an available player who occupies the highest tier on your board. Some would call this value-based drafting, which I'll also talk about shortly too. So for example, your tier one group could literally comprise half a dozen first rounders. Your tier two may be a slightly wider group of mostly forwards and mids. And then that will trickle down. So it may be that goalkeepers don't enter your board until tiers five or even six, depending on how you set them up. So I just mentioned another concept, which is value-based drafting. Now, putting this idea of positional scarcity into practice is essentially what value-based drafting is, or it's essentially one way or one solution to try and tackle that problem. So the concept comes from the US, where draft format fantasy football for the NFL is long-established and a national pastime. The theory is particularly useful in NFL, as there are more positions to fill and choose from on draft day. So essentially, the problem this looks to solve becomes evident pretty much after round one. So round one tends to go in a fairly straightforward manner. But after this, it can be hard to know which position to select at each following pick. Should I be filling up my strikers? Is it too soon to pick up a defender? Three keepers have just gone off the board. Do I need to grab one now before it's too late? All of these scenarios should be covered in the concept of value-based drafting. So the football guys, supposedly the godfathers of this idea, sum it up nicely. The value of a player is determined not by the number of points you expect him to score, but instead by how many points you expect him to outscore his rivals at the same position. The simplest way to start doing this for FPL is to work out what baseline output is for each of the positions. 
Now, there is obviously some subjectivity and variability here, um, but there are a few approaches you can take. So the first is value over replacement. So if I was looking at strikers, how much better is Solanke over the next best striker that would be available in the waiver pile? You can also do value over the last starter. So how much better is Solanke over the worst starting striker in the league? So this takes the baseline up a notch. And then thirdly, value over next available. A more dynamic value for drafting purposes. Essentially, if I take Solanke now in the draft, how much better is he than the next striker up I could draft in the following round? This can be useful in showing where the drop-offs are and help to create your tiered rankings. One thing to note here is that you probably would have guessed already, these numbers will vary by league size. So to take two extremes, if you're in a six-team league, the calibre of player you could pull out the waiver pile each week is fairly high. Whereas in a 16-team league, you're rarely able to pick out decent options, and so players with comparably lower projections will still hold value. So once you're happy with these baseline values, so for, for our purposes in Draft FPL, you'll now have four numbers, one for each position, you can start to work out each individual player's value above that baseline. So for example, in my 11-team league, I might estimate that the 11th best keeper, so for example, the lowest ranked starter, to reach a season tally of around 115 points. Now, when I look at my rankings, my top rated keeper, um, let's say it's Allison, I might project Allison scores 160 points over the course of the season. So this means if we take them away, Allison's value over last starter is 45 points. So if we look at the forwards for an 11 team league, um, in theory, that means 33 strikers could start each week. So my baseline may have to come from the 34th ranked striker. Let's assume I've projected that score to be 65 points. So if I have, and let's take Solanke again as an example, if I projected Solanke to score 115 points for the season and we take them away, his value over the last starter is 50 points. So even though Allison should simply put up a higher tally than Solanke overall, Solanke's relative value on draft day is superior and therefore, if you're sticking to this theory, should be drafted higher because we're comparing the 50-point advantage Solanke gives us to the 45-point advantage that Allison gives us. So this can be a tricky concept to get your head around at first and creating close examples like the one I just did, I think, illustrate it quite well. The reason I'd pass over Allison is because the maths tell me I could wait until the next round and still draft a keeper that's going to score well for the season and give me good value. Whereas if I pass up on Solanke now, the bottom tier forward options, as we all know, are going to be a massive drop off and I'm going to lose even more value. Now, the next part of this podcast, I think even if I explain crystal clear, is going to be quite difficult to convey with pure audio format. So what I intend to do is get this published as a blog so you can at least follow along on the screen. But it's also exactly the type of content that I think would lend itself well to video and why I do want to start putting out some uh, video visual content. So let's imagine a draft FPL team, which is just four spots, one goalkeeper, one defender, one midfielder and one forward. So it's just a pretend game I've made up, just four positions. And for even more simplicity, let's assume it's just you and a friend drafting in a two-person league. So between you both, there will just be eight players. Now, you both face off in game week one and you win the round by 12 points. Your keeper scores eight to his seven. Your defender scores nine to his five. 
your midfielder scores 12 to their three, and your striker scores 10 to his 13. So that one is a loss. So if we compare all of those tallies, that gave you a 12-point win in game week one. Now, let's also assume in this made-up example that the way players performed in game week one is reflective of how they're going to do in game week two. So just to illustrate the point, let's imagine further that you throw all of those eight players back into a pile and you're redrafting ahead of game week two. So you already know the scores that each player is going to score before you draft. Okay, and you've got first pick. So if we were going to select the first overall pick at first glance, you may opt for your opponent's striker. After all, they scored 13 points, which was the highest out of all eight players last week. But in reality, the real value here is in the midfielder, where there was a big difference, 12 to 3. Okay, so although they scored one point less for a total of 12, they gave you a nine-point advantage over the other midfielder in the mix and therefore give you a nine-point advantage straight away over your opponent. So, in other words, just to hammer the point more, the midfielder has a higher value and is therefore more likely to lead to you winning matchups and ultimately win your league as a whole. This is where the fundamentals of draft really come into their own because in this conventional FPL game, uh, everyone can have the same players and in essence, uh, you're playing against yourself to get as high a total as possible. Whereas in draft, the players that you select and the players that you currently own have a direct impact on everybody else because they cannot own them. So the flavour of the month, um, in my head at least, is goalkeeper drafting. And this is why the concept that keepers should only be drafted in later rounds holds true. You're not going to get much of an edge by taking the 11th best goalkeeper over the top one. The above example I gave had Allison as plus 45 over the lowest starting keeper. Translate that over 38 game weeks and it's a little over one point per week compared to if you just took an average bloke in the 11th pick. Compare that to delaying on your final strike spot and you can quickly see how points will swing the wrong way over the course of a year. So if you've just been sat there nodding along, this all makes sense and you want to put this into practice yourself, these are the steps you need to take. Firstly, get, you, get your ranking list and get some projected points for all of the main players in the draft. Now, you may not want to do this for every single pick, um, maybe the top 50, maybe the top 100 if you're particularly keen, but assign some value, predict how many points you expect those players to put up over the course of the season. You can do this subjectively, you can eye up what their previous tallies are, or you can get more technical with it and create your own model to, um, to look at bookies odds or expected stats and come up with numbers that way. So that's your starting point. Then number two, as I mentioned earlier, determine your baseline numbers. So a variety of ways to do this. The most important thing though, is that you keep it consistent so that you can then accurately compare across the positions because if you're doing one sort of if you're doing next replacement for the goalkeepers and you're doing next starter for the midfielders the values you're assigning are completely different and when you put them into one list um, will not give you an accurate representation to keep it consistent and then number three as i did in the worked example determine the values by subtracting the baseline score from the projected points total that you made okay so this will then give you everyone's value now that you've got all of those numbers sort your list again by that value score. Now, if your draft rankings um, weren't too bad, then in theory, this shouldn't massively shift your list around too much because you probably would have been sorting it by the number of points you expect each player to make over the season, naturally. 
what you will find, and if you've done this correctly, what you probably will find is once you get sort of between rounds two and five, which is really the uh, where the, the draft is, is won and lost, suddenly you will see players shifting around, particularly amongst positioning. So whereas you may have had um, Andy Robertson in 25th, that could have been a massive swing and um, putting his value down to 35th, which in the draft is quite substantial. Now, if you want to take this further, my fifth step in this scenario now, so you could completely end it there. You could assign some, um, put some lines in, bracket players as you see fit, and there you've got your tiered rankings based on value. But if you want to go a step further, what you could then do is work out where these players are actually being drafted on average in the real world. So this is where Draft FC comes in. If you have a high value player, so on your sheet, if you have a very high value player, let's say they're plus 80, plus 70 on position. Now, in fact, let's go even smaller. Plus 40 would still be a pretty decent value player. Um, and if you see that they're consistently being drafted in round eight, then even though your list has them as a sort of top 40 pick, that means you don't need to rush to take them in the fourth round. Instead, take some other value players and come back for this selection in the sixth or seventh round. Because the idea of the draft, if you have to look at it in its entirety, is to maximize the value you pick up from the 15 rounds. There will be some players who you have low and therefore have assigned a low value to, who many players, many managers are drafting in the opening rounds. And if that's the case, then great, happy days. Let them take those players that you have low value on, because it then leaves you more room to maneuver and pick up your higher value players in the mid to late rounds because in essence if we maximize value we maximize the number of points we're likely to outscore our fellow managers week to week which should translate into wins and ultimately translate into a winning draft season and then the sixth and final point is an important one nonetheless which is to be able to adjust value as your draft develops so for example if you get to round eight and take a goalkeeper the relative value of the remaining goalkeepers reduces as you're only able to start one each week. Equally, picking up a pretty low average draft picked player, so maybe a player that's generally going in the 13th, 14th round, so an easy one to grab if you want to. If they are a pretty low average draft pick defender and they've got terrible opening fixtures, just because you've got decent value on your spreadsheet doesn't mean you should pick them up in round 10 because again, in the real world, you're probably not going to be starting them for the first few game weeks and they could just be someone you can pick up off of the waivers. The other thing is, if you just blindly follow your values, you could end up with quite an unbalanced squad. So for example, if you've just been picking the highest value pick for the first six rounds and have ended up with Darwin Nunes, Gakpo, uh, Robertson, then blindly picking up McAllister uh, may not be your preferred option. You may not want to stack too much up on a single club. And then that would be another example where deviating ever so slightly from your values would be a better outcome for you in the real world. So that's the nuts and bolts of value-based drafting, which is the strategy that really takes on that problem of positional scarcity and puts it into a fully-fledged solution. But what are some issues with it? So firstly, it's a point that I skipped over a bit at the beginning, but the merits of this system are built, the foundations of this system are built on your ability to project players' scores. So if you're generally out in these estimations, this system will not pay dividends because if your projections are out, then all of your value calculations are out and you've just been drafting from nonsense, essentially. Now, there are plenty of freely available models if you're not up for doing this yourself, uh, including a model we're developing at DraftFC, which you'll be able to see as well. So five, 10 minutes of Googling should be able to get you 
um, some rudimentary data uh, and just take care of that for you. Secondly, it is overly statistical and doesn't take into account, as I was saying just a minute ago, how balanced your team is or the real life feel of the draft as it plays out. This is why some managers will kind of take a step back from looking at pure value and use tiered lists, as I said at the beginning, because that then gives you a whole bracket of players to choose from. And that way, if you didn't want to load up too much on a single team, you're just picking between another player in the same bracket. Thirdly, it won't take into account fixture planning. We're generally um, modelling further ahead. Um, so particularly when considering who you want in later rounds to go into your game week one lineup, this is where you may want to completely ignore your values and, ins and instead swap that over to um, maybe expected points over the opening two to three game weeks. And then fourthly, it won't suggest any value in handcuffing players. So for example, if you're taking a keeper and they're back up from the same team, um, which is of course a legitimate draft aid tactic, you know, in a value-based model, you're unlikely to get that suggested. So that concludes um, this episode and hopefully um, I've given you a bit of a better understanding of positional scarcity, a bit of more of an idea of what value-based drafting entails and how it could be a key to success on draft day. He said not the easiest concept to uh, to iron out and especially not the easiest concept to iron out when you're purely doing it in audio format. So as I said, I will try and get this onto a blog so you can have it open on a screen in front of you. And that larger worked example I had in the middle there with the and that pretend eight player pool draft, um, I'll have that on screen and then it'll make it super obvious. So if you're enjoying what we do here at Draft FC, please subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future episodes as they drop. Following this episode, we get into our player rankings position by position. This won't be a complete list. If you want full access to our complete draft rank, then head to draftfc.co.uk and sign up. As I was mentioning earlier, you'll be able to see the average draft position for every player in the game taken from real world drafts. There are thousands happening each and every day, so that data is getting more and more precise. And uh, that's where our rankings will be right alongside. And we also included the official FPL rank. So you'll be able to have all three of those right alongside and compare those to your own rank. So plenty of information there for you to gauge. If you're on Twitter, head over and follow us at draft underscore FC. Give us a message on there should you need to reach us about the site, your team or the pod or anything else. So until next time, stay sure.